And and we're off. Uh, welcome, everybody, to the uh, Markets Policy Macrocast. This is the new era uh, of the Macrocast, the new format. Uh, thanks again to our friends at Penta. And prior to that, Hamilton Place Strategies for hosting the show for so many years and the fantastic hosting duties of Tony Fratto and Brian DeAngelis and Elon Mui. And uh, we're excited to be carrying the torch and uh, and kicking off with a, a, a long-term, uh, you know, repeat Macrocast stalwart. Brian Valerio SNA from SW4 Insights, and uh, let's dive right in. Brian, this is uh, this week really featured the inflation data. It was sort of the third uh, in the trio of uh, of big major inflation numbers. This one being the Fed's preferred metric, the core PCE uh, price index. And uh, drum roll, please. What did you see in the numbers, and uh, and how do you think it changes, if any? If anything, if at all, the uh, the the outlook uh, that you have for uh, for the Fed. Um, well, so I mean, I, I'm curious. I, I'll see I'll, you guys will chime in. But it, on the one hand, given the I guess the uptick, the surprise uptick we saw for the January CPI, I, I think folks were a bit more primed this time around for this number to be you know a little on, towards the higher side, and I think it confirmed. A lot of chatter you saw amongst the Fed officials preaching patience and making it very clear that they were nowhere near to even beginning the discussion about the discussion about the discussion to you know about when they're going to do that first that first rate hike. I think you saw um, Phil Jefferson, Lisa, I think Lisa Cook also spoke last week. Um, I think about a bunch of governors spoke last week, and they all had the same theme of like. You know, where we want to see a bit more evidence, a bit more certainty around inflation numbers before we begin um, to even contemplate um, changing changing course on, on monetary policy. Um, my one question and my my one um, area of 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 not confusion, but that's right. Was that as we know, a lot of companies in January raised their prices, right? It's that like beginning of the year um, January price hike. And so I wonder how much of this, both in the CPI and the PCE is a result of that versus more entrenched, stubborn inflation. Yeah. Just remembering, you know, talking to the BLS people back in the day, uh, both, January is hard for both, for everything. So the, for the jobs number, it's really hard. We actually lose a million jobs. So they have to seasonally adjust it to make it look normal. <clears throat> and then the same with prices. Uh, though, Brad, did you see the, the story about the BLS sending an email to their super data users saying that maybe there was something weird in the data in January, and then they kind of pulled it. Uh, this was a couple of days ago. So but, I, I saw a headline, but I didn't, I, didn't, I, I didn't chase it down. But do you do you have more info? So it, the, the email said that there was something about the, the housing component in, in uh, January, and there would be fu- future communication. And then the press got it, uh, and they, they kind of haven't said anything more, but uh, so much of what the uh, January price increase was, was heavily related to the housing market. And mm-hmm. we know that the, the BLS data is very much lagging, the, the real-time data. So I don't know what it is, but it seems like maybe they're trying to do something to uh, with the, the housing uh, measurements that, uh, that seem to be not fully reflecting the reality that we're seeing on the ground. Well, I mean, as 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 I think you guys have seen since we we entered this quote unquote inflation crisis, there have been a lot of criticisms aimed at I think CPI in particular and yeah. how it measures housing inflation. Yeah. I think I think there's 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 a lot of belief out there that it's it's lagging too much what's really happening on the ground and it's not capturing quickly enough the changes in rent 
And you, you hear a lot of times, both when Fed officials speak and other influential work called economic thought leaders speak, that they claim they're seeing rents going down and it's not being captured in the CPI. So it could be that the BLS is attempting to, to play catch up here and maybe tweak how they're calculating this to more accurately reflect what's actually happening on the ground in, in, in rental rental data. Um, but like you said, I guess until they release something, it's also- Yeah, we don't know. And the scenario that worries me for the Fed, especially in terms of communications is, because we know the housing is gonna come down because it's date, old data and it's rolling averages. But the, the February super core numbers were, were the highest we've had, uh, you know, kind of in, in a year. So the super mm. core takes out everything. Not really. Uh, it takes out food and energy, but it also takes out that that housing component. Uh, and and those uh, we're seeing kind of accelerating. And a lot of that has to do with um, goods not no longer deflating. Uh, goods are kind of either flat or, or starting to go up. And mm. especially now in February, we're starting to see the the reality of the uh, the the Red Sea shipping. Uh, constraints uh, seep its way through into the supply chain. And it looks like it, it's seeping its way into the consumer prices. Um, I, I have a client who is a device, is a medical device manufacturer, and they, they export and import from all over the world. And we've been having conversations since the beginning of the year around the issue in the Red Sea, because a lot, some of their stuff we see coming from Asia is routed through there. And they have already started sounding the alarm about delays that they're seeing. That stuff that should have taken a week to arrive is now taking two weeks. And they, his prediction, this is the, the president of the company that I'm, I'm speaking about, his prediction was by end of Q1, you'd see things really come to a head. Um, and so, yeah, it would not surprise me if what was your comments about that uptick in goods prices is that starting to feed through. And, you know, fingers crossed, we're not getting a situation as bad as what we saw in 2021 with, with the supply chain crunch. But yeah, yeah. It, it bears watching. We have a, a super intern, Hutso, who's at the iPad program in Fordham, and she's from South Africa, and hopefully she can listen to it. She's going back this weekend. But she's been sending us pictures from her friends in, in Johannesburg of all the, the ships yeah. coming around the, the Cape of Good Hope where they've never seen them before. And now it's one after the other. And they literally come as close to the coast as they can. To, to to make it as as a you know short of a trip as possible. Yeah, it gives you flashbacks to the uh, all those like COVID era scenes of you know yeah. the tankers and and shippers all like floating out in the uh, in the in the bay. <laughs> it was yeah, yeah. it sort of sends a shiver down your spine thinking about it. But uh, taking a step back, Bry, when you look at the inflation, where which camp are you in uh, over the long term? Do you think that inflation, despite some you know sort of maybe Q one hiccups with the supply chain, do you think that inflation is going to settle down back into the Fed's uh, into the Fed's target range, or do you think, as some economists are uh, are positing, that this kind of last mile, so to speak, uh, is going to be really challenging for them to uh, to to close the gap on? Uh, I think I'm definitely in the last mile camp um, because I think you, you see certain items like and items which I believe the Fed has no control over, meaning food, right? So. Food, food, food prices just have remained stubbornly elevated. Um, you know, I think Wal was it Walmart who predicted they would come down, and that never happened. Um, so things like that, where monetary monetary policy can't really impact as much. You need more supply, right? And once you get that that supply into into the pipeline, the price is going to be elevated. Um, they have the unforeseen events. You have you know the ongoing war. 
um, between Russia and Ukraine. You have the the the, the Israel Hamas war in the Middle East. Um, there's too many things out there again that you can't account for that yeah. we've learned from the past few years can just derail everything. Um, so I think I think that yeah, this last mile is going to be a hard slog. Fingers crossed we get there, but I don't think it will be just like a smooth landing. No. Yeah, and yesterday, where all the focus was on the inflation data, the, the other data was actually, I think, much more important. So with the personal income, wages are, are continuing to grow, especially at the, you know, kind of the, the lower blue collar jobs, uh, which is a great thing because that is catching up over kind of 20 years. Uh, but on spending, spending was down 1%, way below uh, expectations. Um and and it always pulls back a little bit because everyone you know buys Christmas presents. Uh, but also uh, initial and continuing jobless claims uh, jumped higher. So, you know, we're kind of seeing that that first the, the the tightening is starting to that happened last year is starting to seep its way through into the overall economy and slowing it. Uh, but then you know you have this possible inflation issue. Uh, so the Fed definitely it, it, there's enough data on both sides to warrant. Holding, or, or they're, they're also is you know seeing some cracks that you know might justify a, a cut uh, later in in the year. Um, and you men you mentioned personal income, so it, it looked like adjusted for inflation, there was no increase in in, in income. It was flat, right? And so yeah, the real prices, yeah, exactly. Yeah, which one explains the slowing in consumption? Because like, exactly. well, I've yeah. barely I've barely seen anything improve. I'm not going to go out and like buy a bunch of stuff. And so that that does concern me because you even if you see the inflation rate slowing, it doesn't necessarily mean people's personal financial situation is improving as a result. And so we might be, I worry sometimes if it's already too late. If if they're able to bring the inflation rate back down to two percent annual rate, the damage to people's pocketbooks has been has already been done and can they will be able to like be able to rebuild or fix that, that damage or repair that damage. Right. And especially the slowdown in the in the labor market has been in, in white collar jobs this time. That's where we're starting to see the the, the wages soften, but also the, the 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 big layoff announcements are coming from you know the, the tech sector and things like that, where the you know the service sector and healthcare sector is still kind of playing catch up and hiring people. Uh but obviously someone who makes more money is able to spend more money and that yeah. uh, you know goes goes all into the, the total pot and we're seeing a you know, pretty, pretty, the data yesterday in terms of spending, you know, that was a pretty significant slowdown. Yeah. And if I think I'll say on this, um, is that even if, uh, yeah, I put this before the market because like, you have like a little, like, well, call me hitting me somebody that comes out now and it's a rant. Um, but even with a 2% inflation rate, yeah. it's on top of all the 9%, 10% we've had to this point. That is like, such an important it's point. Yeah. It's a cumulative price increase. It's not just like, oh, we're down to like the price rates of 2019. It's right. a whole nother ballgame we're in right now. And a lot of price of milk is still 15% higher, even though it's not going up as much anymore. It's still 15% higher than it was a couple of years ago. And I think that's where a lot of the, it, it, not even just political, but when you when you see the consumer, uh, you know, surveys where the consumer just isn't all that optimistic, even though if you just looked at the data, you'd be like, you know, everyone's got a job and inflation's coming down. Uh, what, what are you complaining about? Yeah. Well, that sort of plays into the, you know, the view right now in the markets. You know, if there's a if there's a slowdown coming, you know, tell that to the stock market right now. Of course, it's it's 
skewed to some extent by the outsized gains in tech, which, you know, and NVIDIA and that sort of thing, which are their own story. <clears throat> They're less leveraged to the, you know, overall sort of growth mm -hmm. outlook for the U.S. Uh, and yeah, uh, and we invented this new thing, AI, that is really taking right. away. But, <laughs> you know, the, yeah, the, more, the economy, that's a whole new, you know, yeah. Evolution, so. The more economically sensitive, like the mid cap, like Russell 2000, that sort yeah. of stuff is underperforming, but still like performing pretty strong. It certainly doesn't look like, a, you know, a recession is coming. Uh, you know, stocks are always the last to know. But you look at the bond market and aside from, you know, that nagging, uh, that nagging inversion of the yield curve, you know, levels of there's there's really nothing in there that is um, that's, you know, flashing a warning signal. Do you think that that there's a sort of false sense of security, Bri, about this soft landing and that, you know, it sounds like from what you're saying, you're you're a little more negative on the outlook for the economy. Do you think that a recession is uh, is a significant risk over the coming quarters? Um, I, I would not say significant. I'm not I'm not I'm not a Larry Summers like if things are, you know, I, I, I do think it, caution is, is necessary. I think there's a tendency really within the markets where you might have people who are fairly, well, I, I say young, <laughs> young is a relative word. And, you know, they, 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 were, they, were, they were not around for the, the pre-08, like low interest rate, like high interest rate environment. They're, they're used to low rates all the time. And so anytime they hear like one bit of like positive Fed data, one bit of positive Fed commentary, they just go and, you know, they go, they rush in. Um, Purely because, again, similar to what happened with the 07 housing market crash, in terms of like there's things bubbling underneath the surface that are not always apparent in the in the broad aggregate data, and so by the time it's too late, you know, and everyone's like everyone's like all oh, cashed in all their chips. I do think it, the consumer bear is watching. Um, I think the COVID the COVID savings have been run down or near to run down, for example, and so I I, I do think. You know, given the the state of the consumer and the, the lack of a financial buffer and the, the low savings that they have to to call on should they need to. Oh, and, and credit card debt, right? We're seeing like the New York Fed has this right. yeah. data put out showing like higher delinquencies of credit card debt, high, higher delinquencies of auto loans. You know what I mean? Like if we were in a good place, those things should not be taken upwards, right? So I would not say we should be worried. I'm not. It's not. I'm not pulling a you know the I'm not flashing red on the economy. I'd say I'm, I'm on orange, if, I, if, that, if that makes sense. I am flashing orange. Like just, just proceed with caution is what I would say. And and given given all the so your views on inflation, your views on growth, how does that translate into your expectation for Fed easing? So right now, you know, we've seen the market be kind of manic depressive about the Fed. Right? It was in October. You know, the Fed was it was uh, you know yields were were spiking up the fed was going to be incredibly hawkish and then by the end of the year you know it was 90 percent uh implied odds of rate cuts starting as early as the march yeah. and that sort of stuff now we're kind of somewhere in between the futures markets have uh, have backed up considerably based on the recent data and the communications from the fed pushing back on those uh early and aggressive rate cut expectations mm -hmm. so now i think the base case is kind of around july june july i guess uh where do you come down frankly i would be shocked if they cut rates in june or july i, I would be shocked because i i don't i mean again, a lot could happen in the data between now and then right yeah I, I'm, I'm just assuming we stay on the path we're going right yeah. I, at this point in time based on the commentary from those who, who are stressing patients I, I I don't see it. And then you factor in this one, this little tiny thing called an election happening in November. 
Um, like my prediction, guys, I would I, I see a rate cut in December. Yeah, that's when you think the first one is interesting. I think December. I before then I, I just I don't know how they, they, they see enough to make them confident that they can go in June or July. I, I would be shocked. I think December makes the most sense. Like by December, we know the election's done with so there's, there's no accusation of cooking the books for yeah. Biden with that stuff. Um, December gives you a full year, almost a full year's worth of data to analyze. You can sort of like erase any seasonalities or noise or volatility. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah I, I think December. I, I just don't see anything coming before then. It's going to be if the if the economies we we just haven't seen in this post global financial crisis era, we haven't really seen a you know, a meaningful slowdown in the U.S. economy that hasn't been met with significant Fed easing. Is that a correct statement? I mean, the the sort of knee-jerk reaction is if growth is coming down, the Fed is going to be there to ride to the rescue of the economy. And uh, this sounds like a very different formulation. If we do get that sort of sticky inflation dynamic through the uh, the coming quarters and we get, you know, consumers tiring out progressively you know just after <laughs> after all the the savings got burned down and the sort of body blows of high prices and uh, and we do have that you know that whiff of stagflation coming through and the fed still denying markets the rate cuts that uh, that <laughs> we know that they'll be braying for uh under that kind of conditions that's a that's a challenging time for uh, for risk assets it seems yeah because in the past they never had to to worry about the inflation mandate it was always you know, at or below 2%. So if growth slowed, why not cut, right? Yeah, look look back at 2019. Yeah, uh, exactly. Know, That's the, a the, perfect example. Yeah, the, the Fed was cutting cutting rates because basically because Trump started a trade war with China. <laughs> and, <laughs> and they had... And they said, "Well, what the heck? You know, he's he's yelling at us, and uh, and we have justification for it. Uh, the you know, you go back and look at the economic data, and it certainly doesn't scream, you know, need for aggressive uh, rate aggressive cuts. cuts uh, yeah. But that's what they did, and they did it as a you know a, a preemptory measure, a sort of prophylactic measure to insulate the economy from a, a trade fight that was uh, an executive decision. So um, very very interesting." A very interesting time. And so you alluded to politics. So I know we're coming toward the end of the show. But uh, when you when you think of the the when you think of the Fed and, you know, their attempt to try to stay out of the political spotlight, it's you know, it's going to be hard uh, over the coming over the coming year, <laughs> over the coming months and perhaps the coming years. Uh, you know, uh, former President Trump showed himself to not be shy about uh, about editorializing mm -hmm. on the uh, on the Fed. Uh, how do you think that, you know, how do you think that the campaign and the campaign rhetoric and some of the platforms that the candidates will be putting out there? Uh, how do you think that the, the Fed will try to bob and weave from those? Well, I, I think, oddly enough, normally I would say, yes, the Fed should be worried about being like the target of a lot of ire and, you know, campaign attacks. But weirdly enough, I think a lot of the ire around inflation is in the companies. I think there is a strong narrative out there that companies are taking advantage of the situation to like raise prices, claiming supply chain or claiming higher costs. And so it seems like that's where a lot of the, the attacks have been aimed so far is predatory organizations, corporations, et cetera, who are hiking up prices. You saw, um, I think, Wendy's is going to do surge pricing. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, that was a public relations. <laughs> So I, I think, oddly enough, this might be the one time where the Fed is not the being seen as a culprit behind 
the price concerns. It's more companies. Um, in terms of the rates and interest rates themselves and the impact that's having on, on the housing market, again, I, I do feel like the Fed is not necessarily getting the same level of political blowback it would have otherwise because, well, two things. In 2021, a lot of people bought a home. So those who could are happy. They're not worried about high interest rates because they already have their house. Those who can't afford it, yeah. I mean, mostly younger folks or lower income folks don't have the same political voice that millennials and those older and wealthier do. Yeah. And I, it sounds very callous to say it, frame it that way, but that's the reality of it. It's that- True, yeah. for 100 years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I think that's why I don't see the Fed as much of a campaign issue as it would have been in in, in the previous era. Gotcha. And the uh, the upcoming Fed meeting is is March twenty. Uh, the decisions on March twentieth. Uh, if you were in the in the audience, what would you what would you uh, what were the what are some questions that you would try to nail uh, Fed Chair Powell with if you were uh, trying to play stump the Fed Chair? Oh, that's uh, that's a good one. Um. I think it goes back to what we started this conversation with and what Brendan alluded to with his question about the BLS um, potential revisions, I think potential revisions to the housing housing component of, of the of the CPI just Yeah. And even beyond that, we get just the annual CPI right. revisions, which could, could be large. Yeah. There was a there was a time, if you remember this, when the Fed said, Oh, we're not just looking because it was during like the pandemic influence period, where they said, We're not looking at just government data. We're also going to use alternative data yeah, 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 yeah. to build out a fuller picture of what's happening in the economy. And then it seemed like, I forget, if they, it might have come up again, and he was like, oh, well, now we're going back to more just like the conventional approach when we're less reliant on the alternative stuff. My question would be, given why it was, what everyone knows to be the inherent flaws in both the CPI, PCE, and BLS jobs report data, should the Fed's we rely on them as much for its monetary policy as opposed to using more real-time, faster alternative sources of both numerical and qualitative data to inform its monetary policy decisions. I, I frankly just believe that using CPI, PC, and the job report is just a fool's errand. That's my personal opinion. I, I don't think they give you enough information to confidently dictate or you know, determine monetary policy. And the data we got yesterday, February 29th, was for January. Today right. is March, you yeah. know? So it's incredibly backward looking. Yeah. I can't believe it's March already. My gosh. Right. It's always a great pleasure to have you on. Insightful <laughs> and clear thinking. It's terrific. And so now I'll let you guys close by fighting about soccer. <laughs> Well, my, my team is not doing very well right now, so I don't really have a leg to stand on. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's... I think, poor kids stole a, stole a cup from you. You could have saved the season with the Carabao, but... <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I will say this. Actually, thank you, John. I appreciate this. I appreciate the opportunity to... <laughs> as, 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 the, as the, you know, as Warren Buffett says all the time, like, you, you have to invest in the long term. It's not about short term. You have to, like, put your money in with the, the long term view, I like to believe that all the kids that the Chelsea owners have ex expensively accumulated um, over the past season or two will, in the long term, pay dividends for for the fans. That's that's my that's my hope and belief. Excellent. I'll I'll, I'll end on 
Wendy's actually missed a great opportunity. When I saw the headline, I thought it was genius, but they only took it halfway. They were the 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 they were only raising prices. There's a bar in Barcelona that that has a, a stock ticker, and depending on supply and demand, you know, like the the, the prices of tequila shots can be like twenty five cents. <laughs> and then you it, so if Wendy's had done full market pricing, where you know I can get a chili for fifty cents, <laughs> all in on that, and people would go on. And get, but if you if you're only going to charge more, that then everyone's going to get really. Yeah, from, from, a, from, a, from, a, from a communications point of view, that was a massive own goal. The whole, the headline that says surge pricing. You know <laughs> Everybody no hates surge pricing. Yes, yeah. it's especially now when everyone's word. mad about yeah. mad about higher prices. You're going to lead with higher prices. <laughs> Yeah, come on, Wendy's. All right. Well, that's our show. Next week we've got jobs. It's that's jobs. February jobs, the big, yeah. uh, big, big deal. Despite the fact that uh, Bry pours cold water on the uh, <laughs> on the uh, significance of it, it's still gonna be a, uh, a big, a big drum roll. So thanks again to Bry Valerio SNA from SW4 Insights for joining us on our inaugural episode of the Markets Policy Macrocast, our new, uh, our new format, our new era. And thanks everybody for listening. Thank you. Thanks for having me.